Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 26 of Roll Up, the official Phil Singer Games podcast. I am your co-host, Sam Fain, joined, as always, by Todd Gershel. No Mike Molesky this week, but we do have a special guest, and we'll get to that here in just a minute. But first of all, Todd, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, yeah, we missed uh, this episode last week. I was, you know, it was too much birthday for me last week, and I just couldn't, uh, yeah, couldn't, couldn't do a podcast there. I hope you guys were okay. We did do the bonus one the week before uh, with the Nick Gage announcement and uh, talking about the upcoming uh, uh, convention. Uh, so hopefully that was enough to tide you over uh, that we did, you didn't miss us too much last week. You know, I think, yeah, I think we earned it. I think you earned it, you know, another, another year older, uh, too much birthday. That's there's, there's never anything wrong with that. Uh, it was, it was one of those, it was one of those funny things where we hadn't planned on not doing an episode. So up until about go time, I was thinking like, all right, you know, we're, we're, we're going to record. And then we just kind of called it in the moment and said, you know what, we're going to take the night off. And there's we, nothing wrong with we that. took a powder. We took a powder, and yeah, yeah. That, that was it. That's all right. <laughs> Cards because I knew we had an awesome, awesome show coming for this week. So you know, I wanted to make sure we had all the focus on that. Then yes, and speaking of that awesome show, we do not want to waste a moment uh, before we get to our special guest and our topic for the evening. But before we do, we are going to hit up with our opening bell. Now, of course, because we didn't have a show last week, we have a few extra announcements to cover. Um, uh, first of all, we'll start off with our Centra announcement, which would be Urchin. Um, homegrown talent from where? The CWF has been looking for homegrown talent to fill its ranks. Commissioner Lance Atlas has been sending scouts out all around Centra looking for fighters with potential, like the boys from Mechatoid. He's found another wrestler, but boy, is he cut from a different mold. Urchin comes from the streets of Centropolis, literally. Urchin owned his fighting skills in urban brawls and amateur street fights. You might think that he only has basic skills, but you'd be wrong. Urchin is no opponent to take for granted. Uh, interesting art. Uh, you, you know, it's funny. Uh, the the guys over on uh, Uncharted Territory pointed out that they thought it looked like a little bit of a sort of a beefier, more muscled brian danielson and yep. i hadn't thought of that but then looking at the art i was like oh yeah they're kind of right <laughs> yeah, brian danielson maybe a little bit of moon dog in there right you know yeah a couple different things so uh, uh quick thoughts on urchin todd um yeah, i mean a, kind of an you know, interesting character uh i i i do know where he's gonna fit in the story and i really like it uh you know with the you know there's there's a little bit of a tie in the story to you know at least you know one other character that's already been announced there uh so yeah it, it, he'll have a good spot there and I, I think i think he'll be a lot of fun to use excellent yeah i'm looking forward to him i you know I, i've been uh a fan really of the art thus far uh and, and the little teasers um that we've gotten for centra um and you know i i trust that Mike is going to give us something that's going to be a lot of fun. So um, little, little doubt. I, I, you know, I'm wondering too, you know, with, with somebody like Zelos, like if, if, if this is going to be uh, a character that, that has any interactions with him, um, whether it be, you know, uh, as, as a team or if uh, there'll be foes. Um, but I think, you know, for me, just looking at the art and kind of the little bit of the blurb at the very least, if they're not teaming up, I definitely plan on having them square off a little bit because I think. Oh, that, for, sure. You know, for sure. We'll see. We'll see. The book might point me in a different direction. Direction, but 
That's my initial instinct there. Um, so since we do have the luxury here of, of peering into our crystal ball, uh, we will go ahead and just jump right to the next Centra teaser, which was uh, a new Ravager, um, and that's Dransack. You didn't think that Ventros was coming alone, did you? He's brought back up in the form of Dransack. The real question is who the Ravagers will target. Rundar has been observing Centra for a year now, and he's identified a target. Will it be Murdoch or perhaps Oracle? Maybe it's the Future Shock team. Whoever it is, Dransack will be there with Ventros to represent the Ravager race and solve Sentra's problems. Will everyone like the solution? Uh, you know, what a great teaser. Sets up just a wonderful bit of tension um, and mystery for, you know, what the Ravagers are going to be up to, which I know is already a big question for this set. Um, and I, I'm really, really looking forward to that part of it. It's something that, you know, might kind of let me in on a while ago uh, before, you know, there was ever an announcement for Ventros. So it'll be really interesting to see where this is going. Any thoughts on this one? No, I mean, good to have another Ravager, obviously a little different color than the other two. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that I know there's always a debate of like, you know, what colors different, you know, lizard type people should be. But uh, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I think Mike said, this is actually the, the color he always thought that, that he expected uh, for some of the Ravagers. And I know, you know some, you know, some color uh, stuff uh, from the ACE set, uh, had some different things so he wanted something different for this this other new character uh but cool to have a whole full ravager team as part of that and yeah. uh they will have an interesting uh feud this year as well so, yeah you know. I, i'm really excited for future shock uh you know they, they've been just one of my favorite things over the past couple of years and uh I, this this set is no exception in fact in some ways i think i'm looking forward to this one more than i did the last one and that's not a knock at all on the last one i just i the first one was just so good and it was just this wonderful you know jumping on point the second one helps to kind of like flesh things out beat things up but i feel like this one there's a little bit more anticipation for me personally uh for this set than there was the the second one uh just well, because i think there's a lot of things coming there, to the head yeah, longer wait on this one too. Uh, that which, you too. Know, the, the help, helps uh, build the anticipation even more. But yeah, th- yeah, I think there's some big, some big characters coming in, some big, you know, new storylines, a little bit of a different direction. I think the last one was maybe a little bit of a continuation of the first. You know, we had the introduction of Murdoch's team, but this one I think uh, takes a little bit of a different turn uh, in, in a couple of different storylines, which which should be pretty neat. Nice. Um, and then next up, let's go with our Indies Death Match set. Uh, previews we got the announcement of g raver gcw mainstay g raver is the next name for the indies deathmatch set coming this fall high flying high risk style has earned him his share of fans out of the ring and enemies in the ring none more so than setmate jimmy lloyd um of course he and lloyd had a famous match where g raver's career was almost ended uh raver was able to come back and uh, they're engaging in a feud that is still kind of ongoing uh he also uh, played a, a big part in the recent dethroning of matt cardona as the yep. gcw uh, champion um cardona of course uh i don't know if anybody's been following the twitter verse has has definitely been having a lot of fun uh one way or another whether he's whether he's working us or or whatnot uh which i'm sure he is uh he's been having a lot of fun with the whole thing and it'll be interesting to see where things go next obviously with moxley having the belt right now and, and on a collision course with gage um G Raver, though, what a wonderful uh, addition to the set. I think somebody that uh, a lot of people are excited about. The artwork is really great. Uh, has that mask that he, that he wears to the ring. Um, thoughts on G Raver? Uh, yeah, this is definitely a guy I knew I wanted to have in the set. Uh, so, yeah, when Zeke was going out to uh, Tournament Survival this year, I'm like, definitely talk to G Raver. Because, yeah. you know, knew we wanted to do this one. So, yeah, he, he was... 
you know, one of the top guys we wanted, especially with knowing we had Jimmy Lloyd in there too. It just, it just worked out perfectly uh, with that. I definitely with the art wanted to have the mask on there. I think Warner did an awesome job capturing that G Raver absolutely loves it. I think he's going to be, uh, he asked for the artwork. I think he might even make a t-shirt out of it. So, oh, nice. as well. so it's just cool. It's always nice when the wrestlers really, uh, really enjoy the art uh, a lot too. I, I always uh, like that. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, and then next up the announcement, which is actually not dropped yet as of this recording, but will, by the time it is hitting your ears is none other than John Wayne Murdoch. Um, I mean, it's funny because this guy is, is only 33 years old, but it is not, uh, a hyperbole to name him as a legend of, of deathmatch wrestling. Um, He's been involved in in multiple deathmatch tournaments. Um, he he had you know just a super long uh, tenure in IWA Mid South. Um, he's been the IW Mid South uh, IWA Mid South Heavyweight Champion six times. Uh, he's also been the tag team champion down there twice. Uh, currently, uh, actually, with Jake Christ, um, and you know, really all over uh, sort of the Midwest, the the, the Northeast, the the South. He's he's just wrestled you know for for deathmatch uh, promotion or promotions that have deathmatch uh, um, wrestling heavily featured, um, you know, for the better part of the past 15 years. Uh, it's It's been, you know, what he does. Um, there's, you know, there's some question as to um, if he's going to keep wrestling or not. I know that I, I read recently um, that he, you know, he kind of mulled over uh, potentially calling, calling it quits. Uh, I know that he, you know, he just recently took plat, I took, took part in the slave to the death match 12, um, tournament. Um, so I, I, you know, that was as of just a couple of days ago, so it doesn't seem like he's, uh, um, calling it a day anytime soon. Um, but I know there'd been a little bit of question uh, about that. So, uh, great addition to the game, uh, fits this bill for this set perfectly, uh, is, is a guy that, you know, as has been kind of said in the lead up to the release of all these names is not necessarily a GCW talent, although he has wrestled for GCW, um, but represents you know kind of a a different uh, region if you will especially with iwa mid-south yeah. thoughts on john wayne murdoch yeah i mean you said perfectly that we did want to get some representation you know across different uh, areas and when you think of the midwest deathmatch scene that's you know that's the big guy you think of right there uh so definitely wanted to get him i reached out to him and he was like oh that that sounds awesome love to be part of it so very happy to have uh john wayne murdoch in there uh, I know there's a couple other times we were looking at maybe fitting in different sets, but this one, this yeah. one came around. It just seemed like the perfect opportunity uh, to, to to get him in the game there. So very excited uh, to have that. And that uh, is our last name that we're announcing for the main set. Um, you know, we do have a couple other prime names still the name as well, which uh, you'll you'll learn a little bit more about that pretty soon then. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to uh, to being able to divulge those names and talk a little bit more about what has turned into be, I, I think, a set that a lot of people are very excited for. Um, I'm looking forward to it, and it's strange because we've had this conversation before. I'm not a huge deathmatch guy these days. Um, mm-hmm. You know, certainly I can enjoy one when it's done well, and there are certain wrestlers that I really like who take part in them a lot. Um, I feel like I've probably watched more deathmatch wrestling in the past year than I have maybe in the past like 15, but, uh, uh, it, it's, I don't know. There's, there's a lot to be excited for, for this set and the talent that has been assembled for it is great. And like you say, there are certain names in this set that could have been released prior to this set, but to be able to bring them all together under this umbrella, I think is really cool. Yep. 
Absolutely. And then also we got the, the death match rules that Zeke uh, was working on. I saw the uh, preview of that uh, this week. It definitely looks uh, like a lot of fun. And and even these cards themselves will perform better in death matches as well as, as part of it. So nice. Uh, definitely some, uh, some cool little mechanics and stuff around that. So I think uh, people will be very happy with it. I like it. Uh, but uh, of course, we don't want to forget our Legends of Wrestling Special Edition four pack, 2021 four pack. Uh, and of course, the name that was most recently announced is none other than Dutch Savage. Uh, I mean, if you're doing a Pacific Northwest set, we we kick things off with Buddy Rose. Um, arguably, Dutch Savage was, you know, just as big of a star, if not bigger of a star for during his tenure in the Pacific Northwest than, than anyone. And uh, uh, to have him come into color, I think, is, is just a perfect perfect opportunity here. Um, one of the top talents of the Pacific Northwest, seven time heavyweight champion, 12 time tag team champion named wrestler. Of the championships. Year. <laughs> yeah. Named wrestler of the year, in 1974, part of the tag team of the year on four separate occasions with multiple partners, including Jimmy Snuka. Uh, his teaming, uh, with Snuka, uh, was, was called one of the best tag teams of the seventies, um, by multiple publications. Um, in fact, he and Snuka even held the titles for nearly one year straight, um, during their their teaming uh, he, he had memorable runs elsewhere uh, in the midwest and vancouver um you know he worked up in awa uh he he you know worked with guys like the destroyer uh and and mad dog Vashon. um he he even feuded uh at one point with with buddy rose and the sheep herders um and occasionally teamed with uh, roddy piper um just a yeah just a, a great talent um an excellent unique talent i feel like uh, especially for his time he you know ended up being known i think for a bit of a, a roughhouse brawling style but uh just all around was was a great hand in the ring um and he's known for innovating the coal miners glove match so you know that uh, might have some representation on this card as well so there you go uh and of course we got one more name to announce uh todd can i spoil it can i spoil it do we have to wait we have to no we gotta wait we gotta wait all right fine uh but (laughs) it's legends one to talk about next week right right uh i will say it's a great name and uh it'll it'll definitely put a a nice little bow on this particular four pack so i'm looking forward to that um so there's all of our previews we got that out of the way any other news from fed hq um nothing too huge you know we again we, we announced last week the uh, october 17th that the sunday we're going to be doing our next um virtual convention so definitely uh check us out for that we'll i think we'll be announcing the guest ahead of time we we're kind of going back and forth if we we're going to do that but we will announce the guest ahead of time there will be a special legends guest that'll be part of it uh, awesome. we will announce at the con though what the special card is uh, which is be a special legends card also going to be awesome yeah. Um, <laughs> um yeah i well i'm looking forward to it uh you know obviously there there is a there's a, some, some small question as to how it will it will fit into my schedule with the impending birth of of my son but uh i we're, we're thinking that the timing is going to work out perfectly and i'll be there all weekend and uh and he won't make his way into the world for another week or so after the con uh but i'm really looking forward to it it should be a, it should be a heck of a lot of fun um, just uh, there, just to clear up a little bit i know in the past when we have charged for cons we've had different pricing if you wanted to be part of tournaments or not and uh, this one here uh, is just one flat price, uh, it's $10 that gets you into the con. If you want to participate in a tournament, you can. We'll be doing that ahead of time. We'll have a, 
uh, a deathmatch tournament with the new indie set. We'll have a central tournament uh, with the new set there. And then we will have a legends tournament that will be a world champions tournament. So kind of like a, almost like a, a best of the best uh, legends, you know, they have to be a former world champion to be in this tournament. Uh, so we'll be doing that, you know, and, uh, and then after that's afterwards, the Q and a, you will get a special card. You will get a collectible sticker as well as part of the whole deal. So one price for trying to make it easy. There you go. Very cool. Yeah. And with the price of admission, just for the collectibles. So even if you cannot make the actual con, make yeah. sure you get your order in that way you won't miss out on the card and the sticker. Um, so uh, uh, also in, in real world wrestling news, here's something that uh, I think ties in nicely to a couple of things. First of all, you're the tournament master. AEW has announced a partnership with the Owen Hart Foundation and basically is going to be promoting uh, a tournament um, in his honor with the, the, the winner be, you know, taking the, the Owen um, Cup. And um, it's a really cool announcement. They're going to be able to license his image for uh, action figures and uh, for use in their, their upcoming video game as well mm-hmm. as merchandise. I know Pro Wrestling Tees kind of got the ball rolling on some of this stuff as they had uh, produced a couple of t-shirts with, with Martha Hart's approval and stuff. So brawlers, uh, things like that. Yeah. 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 So uh, obviously a super cool announcement is something that I think is uh, uh, a great way to bring him back in. I know obviously there, there are people have been clamoring for this for years, thought that it would probably happen with another company eventually, hopefully, but uh, there's just, you know, no way I think realistically that that was really going to end up being the case. So, um, so this is just, this is super cool. And, and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with it. Um, and in addition to that, they've got some big shows coming up and you're going to be there. I will be there. Yes. <laughs> I'm very excited. My first, uh, my first wrestling show, I think in about, uh, Oh geez, at least two years now. So, uh, yeah, very excited to go. Uh, first, uh, ever wrestling show at Arthur Ashe stadium, uh, found out last week that it's going to be four hours, maybe five hours of taping. So not quite WrestleMania length, but, uh, you know, should, should be good. And then just the lineup is amazing. You know, some of the, some of the matches there, I was like, wow, okay, we're going to get that one too. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's super, super cool. Um, also worth noting that some of the talent on this card used to work for uh, a little organization out of Southeastern Pennsylvania uh mm-hmm. names like ruby soho um young bucks obviously um uh, amongst many others you, you know and then of course uh, Orange cassidy like of course. Orange cassidy right um and uh, chuck taylor uh you know the list the list kind of goes on um 2.0 there's a very large contingent of wrestlers working for aew that once upon a time worked for chikara yes. and that segues nicely into our main event um see what i did there and uh, that brings us to our very special guest for the evening i am thrilled to make uh, the introduction of a gentleman who uh, at one time or another has run the uh chikara special twitter uh, the host of the viva chikara podcast and of course the author of the last chikara almanac not to mention helping out with the bios for the phil singer games chikara sets that is none other than kevin ford kevin welcome to show and thank you so much for joining us Thanks for having me, Sam. Todd, uh, this is unfortunately a topic I don't get to talk about very much anymore, but it's uh, something that I love, and I'm so glad that we get to go back and reminisce on Chikara tonight. Let's get to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to just say, 
right off the bat that it, it would, I don't feel like we would be doing our due diligence if we didn't just mention the fact that yes, Chikara closed under not the best of circumstances, that there were allegations levied against multiple people. Uh, and of course, you know, the top guy running behind the scenes, of course, uh, we're not here to talk about that. And we're not here to, to, you know, to get into the nuts and bolts of that. We're here to remember the best of Chikara and uh, we're here to do it. However, uh, maintaining a certain sensitivity to the fact that yes, these things, uh, you know, were alleged and that, uh, that the promotion shut down and it's no longer around. And I think, uh, and it really shut down this time for real. Yeah. Right. Right. For real this time. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, again, we're aware of that and we're not trying to celebrate anything that would take away uh, from, from any of the individuals that were involved in this and hurt by this. Um, but we did want to take a moment to celebrate all the good that, that Chikara uh, brought because there was a lot of really, really, really cool fun stuff and a lot of really cool uh, shows uh, that, that Chikara put on um, for the whole family. I mean, that was one of the things, right. Is that the, you know, they wanted to uh, bring uh, a wrestling show that everyone could enjoy all ages could enjoy especially at a time when i think indies in particular were really known for being you know kind of edgy and more adult um you know, every indie out there was kind of trying to take up the reins of, of ECW. Uh, you know, when Chikara started in, in 2002, uh, there weren't a lot of sort of like family-friendly promotions around. Even WWE at the time was certainly not considered family-friendly in, in, in 2002. So, um, so yeah, we're here to celebrate that. We're here to to talk about some of our favorite memories. Um, I'm the guy who knows the least in the room. Uh, I will admit that right off the bat. I didn't become a Chikara fan really until about 2011, 2012, around the time that Phil Singer Games started producing sets. I'd heard of Chikara. I was, you know, they were on my radar, but I didn't necessarily have the means, quite frankly, or the access to the shows um, that now we do, because now you can go back and you can watch virtually every single, there are a few missing, but you can watch virtually every single show on IWTV, um, which is awesome because there's some great stuff there. Um, But yeah, Kevin, let's start with you. Talk about how you, you know, became aware of Chikara, how you became a fan, some of those favorite early memories that you have of the promotion. I actually first became most aware of Chikara because somebody on the Chikara fans board sent Brian Alvarez a copy of the Night 3 of King of Trios 2007. And he talked about it. And the things I remember, the key takeaways were that he hated the tag gauntlet, which is correct. <laughs> Uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> that there was a uh, Ken, Ken the Box versus Mecha Mummy, which sounded insane when they were describing it. <laughs> and then there was Claudio Castagnoli versus Ricochet. And those were like three very distinct matches. I'm like, what is this? Like, is this in Japan? Like, what's, what is this company? At this time, I was like super deep into Ring of Honor. So I knew of Claudio. And so I kind of was like, what is Chikara? And that's when I found their YouTube series, the podcast to go go which was more or less like one of the first wrestling podcasts, especially in video form. It was like a weekly series they put out. It was about 10 minutes. It was talking head clips with like a couple clips of matches put in usually about two a week. And it was a great way to promote their upcoming shows, promote the shows that had just come out on smart mark video. And that's where I really got a taste of the style, the characters, those things. And then around end of 07, I got into the Ben Gerard storyline, reading about that online. And then King of Trios 2008 were the first shows I said, all right, I'm going to buy these, watch them. And it was, a, I remember it was Easter weekend, 2008, me and two other friends watched them, absolutely loved them. And that's when I became like, uh, I got to get every show. I got to follow this. And right then we pledged, we go to King of Trios the next year. And we did. And the rest is history. 
Nice. Oh man. Well, I, I, I'm looking forward to talking a lot about King of Trios. We talked a little bit off mic before we started recording. Um, and there's a lot of great memories there. Uh, not only the tournament, of course, but some of the matches that would happen uh, on those nights. Um, Todd, what about you? What's your, your kind of story of your Genesis of your fandom for Chikara? Oh, I think, well, the first time I heard about Chikara was that 2008 King of Trios. And that's because they had demolition as part of it. And <laughs> that was, it was actually, it was during a weird time when WWE was putting stuff about independence on WWE.com. And they had something about the profile of the King of Trios that was coming up and mentioning the demolition and one man gang. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be a tree. I'm like, what is this? You know, they, I didn't, I hadn't really heard of it. And I, you know, I, I couldn't make it. I think uh, you said it was Easter weekend, right? I think that, that, that one, the- the DVDs came out. Oh, DVDs that, came out. Okay. That was like I, I, late February It was in March or, or something March. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 in March. Yeah, for some reason, I, I couldn't make it down there, I, you know, just on short notice or whatnot. And But then I'm like, oh, I got to keep keep an eye on this promotion. This looks like a lot of fun. Just like the whole concept of it, of just, you know, the, the interesting characters and everything like that. So I, I started following it online, you know, seeing some of the podcasts, the Go-Go's, following the stuff on the website. I finally got to go to a show, I believe, in... Uh, October that year uh, was the um, the one where they brought Big Japan wrestling. Global Gauntlet. The Global Gauntlet. That was the first show I went to as a Global Gauntlet. And uh, yeah, after that, I was like, oh, I was hooked right there. And uh, you know, getting to go down to the ECW arena, getting to see that. And then I lived about an hour away from Easton, Pennsylvania, which that month they started running in and they would run there almost monthly so i got to go to so many shows it was just so easy you know an hour away for me to just go and hop and see all these great uh shows there and i would go down to ecw arena a couple times a year uh and just really followed it from there and um yeah that's what really got me into indie wrestling i had gone to maybe one ring of honor show before enjoyed it but it wasn't anything i was following on a, on a regular basis but once i Farhan Chikara, like, this is the style for me. Just, you know, the storytelling and stuff like that really was was next level. Yeah, the storytelling. I, you know, I think that that is, is honestly a great place to sort of, you know, take the discussion next because it, one of the things that drew me to the promotion uh, and and that I was fortunate enough to come in at a time when there was just this rich, rich history unfortunate enough that there was this rich, rich, rich history that I felt like I really had to get to know. And luckily there's some great videos out there, both that, you know, that Chikara had done some fan videos as well that helped to kind of put together some of the, the, the storylines. Um, because, you know, I think one of the things that, that Chikara did so well is it fused kind of the, the Lucha Libre style um, uh, of wrestling um, with these sort of long-term comic book storylines. Um, it's like, it, it was, you know, it's like if somebody took like the Chris Claremont X-Men run and, you know, mashed it together with, you know, your, your favorite kind of like Lucha promotion with, with a dash of maybe, you know, uh, Puro Resu in there as well. And, and all of a sudden, here you go, you've got Chikara and, a lot of those storylines really started off very, very early in the history of the promotion. I mean, there was stuff that you know, that happened basically like day one that paid off a couple of years down the road. And there were, you know, huge stories that took, you know, seasons, because that's how Chikara was broken up into seasons to resolve, like the BDK stuff, the Osiris Temple stuff. So, um, yeah, Todd, talk about like kind of 
the storytelling and some of your favorite stories from the history of Chikara? Um, yeah, I mean, so, geez, so many. I mean, obviously the BDK one, I think, was a really big one and how that all came together and how, like, yeah, like the big reveal happened. But then that you just go back and you see all the different seeds planted for like so long and just be like, oh my gosh, it was that, you know, I think there's so many things with Chikar, like you will be, you know, you put together, they, we put together a show and it would be like, okay, there's this, there's this match that has this part of this story, this match is part of this story. And then there's this other random match. It's like, why, why is this match on, on there? And then by the time the match happened, you're like, oh, okay. That's why that match happened because it's building into, you know, the next big story that was going on. Um, and I just, yeah, some, I think, and, and Kevin, I, I'd like to hear kind of your thought on this. There's kind of like different levels of the Shakara storytelling, right? You can go in and watch a show and enjoy it. You can go and follow certain things, and, and, you know, online and, and kind of like with storylines enjoy that. But there's even like really much, you know, deeper, deeper stories you can get into if you really wanted to. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it's almost like a choose-your-own-level-of-fan engagement. Is there's <laughs> there's the really hardcore, deep stuff where you're following the blogs and the YouTube content and the DVDs and everything else. And there's like kind of a step down from that when like maybe you're following with the shows or you know every other show, but you're kind of keeping track through the message board and stuff. But even um, it was 2012 when they did uh, Wizard Philly and they had a show that weekend we went and I had a buddy of mine who's not into wrestling at all. And I, and all the rest of us were, we were going to that show. And I just said, you know what, come along, I'll buy your ticket. Never seen Chikara before went in totally blind and had a total blast just watching that one show. So just on a completely on the surface level, he watched one show, had no idea any of the stories going to the matches and had a great time. So that's, and I think that's really the success of, of a wrestling show is if, if you can, satisfy that audience and then also the people who can get the deeper meaning behind it you've really put together quite the show and chakar succeeded in that for such a long time yeah yeah and i you know i think that one of the things that was really cool is that they, they took risks with the storytelling um you know that that long-term storytelling that that they would do uh that that honestly i think would go in directions that you know fans weren't necessarily anticipating um that you would see certain wrestlers get a spotlight thrown on them that you would see the spotlight shift away from certain wrestlers for a little while that it wasn't necessarily about taking like i feel like that there are a lot of promotions out there uh that would you know yes claudio had the spotlight a lot but the BDK storyline was not all about Claudio. You know, it was about this group and it was about the people that they affected and the people they interacted with. Same thing with like Ultramantis Black. It's like Ultramantis Black had a huge portion of the spotlight, but he wasn't always necessarily the featured guy in the ring or in the matches. There was a lot of other stuff happening and there were a lot of other wrestlers that were featured kind of as a part of those storylines. And I think that that's one of the things that they did such a wonderful job of getting the talent in the ring and getting people, you know, engaged and involved. And they were able to have a large roster and never kind of suffer from people feeling inconsequential. And I think that that is, is really kind of, uh, um, unique because there are a lot of promotions that struggle with that. You know, I think uh, uh, AEW is in a great position. The the fact that they do have so many Chikara wrestlers on, on the roster, uh, you know, whether it's Eddie Kingston, Bryce Rimsburg, or any of the other name, names we mentioned earlier, that that hopefully they're able to kind of, you know, take a page out of their book and, and utilize that. And it seems like they have been doing a really good job of balancing, you know, the sheer number of, of talent that they have right now. But uh, I felt like Chikara did a good job of that. And, you know, and the funny thing is, is that there are times when talent would, you know, leave 
for whatever reason. And they would always find a great way to fill those voids that it became, uh, you know, apparent that it wasn't necessarily the specific talent that was important, not that they weren't important, but that the story was the thing that helped to propel the promotion and no one big name um, or, or set of names. And I think that that was really cool. Um, I mean, and they didn't have a heavyweight, you know, a main champion right. forever because they're like, well, well, we want the, the focus to be on this, this story here. And, you know, this should be the main event. It shouldn't, we shouldn't be always feel compelled to have the champion as the main event. Now, of course that changed later on, but you know, that I, I kind of did enjoy that for a while of, yeah, the, the focus can really be on on anything that's really important at the time. Yeah, I mean, it took nine years before they had their first grand champion, who, of course, was Eddie Kingston. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, that that was a really cool element, that, that there were things that were more important uh, in the promotion uh, to fight for, necessarily, than, than this big title. Um, and, of course, the Campeón de Perejas were, you know, there from very early on. Uh, and the King of Trios, of course, was huge. Um, and, and the Alliance Cup, uh, um, you know, was 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 a very important part um, of the promotion as well. So, I mean, they had things to fight for, for sure, but it was definitely not um, all about the belts, that there were other things that, in storyline, you know, kind of worth fighting for. And of course, one of the big storylines that they did was the, the very nature of the promotion was worth fighting for. And speaking of risks earlier, I mean, they shut down for like a year. They didn't run any shows because in storyline, that's where they went. I mean, that was such a huge risk. And I feel like if we're being completely honest, it did kill a little bit of their momentum. It did, you know, it it did make it a little bit more difficult, uh, I think, for them to get things started. However, I, I would argue that they were able to have some of their best shows wrestling wise. Like when you look at what's happening in the ring after the shutdown. Um, you know, and bring and some of the talent that they brought in. I mean, you look at those those King of Trios post, you know, shutdown, and there's some incredible talent. Now there's some incredible talent from before, too. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and I am in no way trying to argue that the best years were post-shutdown. Uh, but that does kind of bring me to my next question. Kevin, what do you think? Um, like if you were introducing someone to Chikara right now and you had to point them in the direction of where to start. Or, or what were the best years? Where would you, where would you point people? That's a hard question to answer. Cause I guess it depends on like how far back do you want to go? How engaged do you want to get? Sure. What are you looking for? Are you looking for stories? Are you looking for the highest concentration of great matches? There's kind of different answers to all that. Like I, I would say if you were getting into it, like the furthest back you should go is probably the 2005 tag world grand prix which was the first events of that year. And it was the first year that it was shot by smart Mark video. They had commentary and everything after that got, got a proper release. But if you don't want to go that far back, I think really any King of trios is a really good point. Cause it kind of gives you a nice overview of where the company is. But I also think, you know, like King of trios 2011 would be a great starting point. One, because I think that's such a great tournament, maybe the, the best weekend car I ever had. And then right after that is when you get into the 12 large summit, where you go in then into high noon where they crown their first grand champion. And then going forward, you kind of catch so much good, good wrestling and stuff like that. Although I know a lot of people will say, Oh, but the BDK 2010, so on and so forth. I agree with that. I think a lot of people point to that as their best year story wise, but I think maybe a little before that, but if you're just someone who's coming in fresh, I was like, start in 2011, go till about the shutdown. And if you really like that, then maybe go back a little bit and see how that stuff kind of fleshes out. 
that makes sense. What about you, Todd? Yeah, I mean, I, I got to agree with that. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I think the, you know, the, the, if you want to point out a first thing to go to, I, I'd say, you know, what, definitely King of Trios is always a, always a good starting point. There's maybe a couple Anniversario shows uh, that that might be up there. I know that uh, Anniversario Yang is definitely a good one. That's like, you know, right before, yeah, right before some of the BDK stuff started. Yeah, that, that, that it's kind of almost like a little bit of a lead up to kind of like the, the, the turn of Claudio and whatnot. It kind of almost started around that time. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say, yeah, probably I'd say that that high point has to be that 2011 year uh, with everything. That's where they really started chugging along. And then 2012, that's where I think they really started to get a big spotlight in, you know, in 2012 that they were really kind of like one of the top Indies at the time uh, brought in some really great talent. Uh, you know, after the shutdown, I know they had some really big shows at first. Uh, they maybe didn't have bring as much outside talent at that point. They kind of a little bit of shift more towards the homegrown talent at that point. But you know, still some some great uh, people featured uh, there. But uh, yeah, probably I'd say probably if I'm going to point to someone, yeah, probably the, the start King of Trios 2011 go through the shutdown, then kind of see back from there. But that, that, that's probably the high point I'd say. Nice. Yeah. You know, I, 2011, and now I'm thinking about it. uh, The reason why I got into Chikara uh, was partially the sets, but um, the truth of the matter was, is that though the one, two, three kid El Generico match uh, in Trios 2011, because it got, it got a lot of, buzz and i can remember reading about it like on message boards and people talking about it and so that was like i had to i had to seek that out um and now you you know with again my knowledge not being as deep as either one of you guys i feel like when i kind of went back and started to really get into things you know i tried watching some of the earliest stuff from like 2002 2003 um which was fine you know i was glad that i watched it um but i don't think i really started to get into things until about 2008 when i you know went back and was watching things um and 2008 was really where i started to just you know, kind of feel like I wanted to watch as much as I possibly could. Um, and because there's so much of it, you know, there's still plenty that I, that I haven't gotten to. Um, King of Trios, we, we've mentioned it a few times. Uh, and obviously it, it is a huge event for the company. I mean, it, it's funny because there were other events throughout the year, throughout the season that would happen. Um, and of course, the Cybernetico usually would be, a, you know, the, the way to finish off a lot of feuds. Um, but I think if there's one lasting um, impact that Chikara really had, it was helping to popularize or repopularize because obviously there had been six man tag belts, you know, prior to this, that, you know, trios wrestling in North America and really kind of, you know, turning people's eyes to that, you know, uh, ring of honor was doing it. Uh, new Japan obviously was doing it. Uh, dragon gate was doing it, but in a lot of ways, I feel like Chikara for North American fans is really responsible for helping to put that on the map. Um, and the talent that they would bring in for those King of Trios was always incredibly remarkable. You know, you mentioned demolition earlier, uh, but of course they had people like Minami Toyota coming in. They had uh, uh, people representing Dragon Gate, people representing uh, AAA. They, you know, they would bring wrestlers in from, from all over the world for that weekend, for those three days. Um, and they would have this wonderful opportunity to showcase some of the best in-ring wrestling of the of the season um, that, that they would have, uh, while also furthering storylines. And I, I feel like that those King of Trios shows were something that 
a lot of wrestling fans, even though it's only been like two years since we've had a King of Trios, are really missing and really hungry for. We've talked about it recently on the podcast, like hoping that AEW goes forward with their idea of doing a trios belt and maybe, you know, has a tournament or something like that. Um, Kevin, talk a little bit about the importance of King of Trios. You know, obviously you mentioned 2011 is like being a perfect jumping on point for people, but just in general, uh, the event, what it meant to the promotion and the impact you think it had on, on the fandom. Well, I think, you know, there's a lot of tentpole events like that, that certain companies have, where even if you don't watch them, you're going to go out of your way to check this out every year. And, and for like PWG, that's the Battle of Los Angeles. And there, you know, there's the G1 for New Japan and Wrestle Kingdom, things like that. But for Jakarta, it really became King of Trios. Yeah. For even people who weren't following it every year, King of Trios was, a, you know, a landmark show they had to watch because of all the special guests. Uh, usually had a lot of really great matches, a lot of really great moments. And it would be some, you know, some years it was, some years it wasn't uh, because of that. And because Jakar knew they had so many eyeballs on them when they would pull the trigger on certain storylines or things of that nature. Um, so it was a really great way to kind of either dip your toe into the, the pool to see what Jakar was all about. If you had checked out for a while or it was your, you know, your annual check-in to see what was going on there. <laughs> Um, and, and as far as the live experience, you know, I was fortunate to go to so many different King of Trios. It really became like the, for, for some of my friends, it was like the one time a year I got to see them, especially when it anchored itself in a city for three days after that first year, it was like, come to the ECW arena or eventually the Easton Funplex for three days, get yourself a hotel. And then you and your buddies are going to be watching three days of really fun, high energy wrestling shows. Um, you know, I think Todd and I met at a King of Trios. I can't remember exactly King of Trios, but, you know. Yeah, Charles, I know we met at the ECW arena at, at, a, yeah. at a show there. But I know we definitely saw each other at plenty of King of Trios. Of course. There. So, yeah, like those, like, I mean, in a lot of ways, and I remember somebody said this uh, uh, just on social media last week when um, Bryce River posted a photo of a lot of the, the AW locker room who came from Chikara. It was like going to a Chikara show was like, seeing family and friends that you hadn't seen for a very long time yeah. that counted totally. as a fan going to the roster, the roster to the fans, or even myself where it was like, that was the only time I got to see some of those people. Cause we just came from different parts of the country and you have a lot going on in your lives. But if you all agree that, you know, King of trios weekend, that's a place we're going to go. Then you've got three days to see your friends both in and outside of the shows. And it, it was really special. It was, it was something you can count on and, and everybody went and it was just such a blast. So for, you know, as for an in-person attendee, it was like such a huge event on my calendar every year. And I was so excited to go to see friends I hadn't seen in a while, see three great uh, Chikara shows. And then for a lot of fans, it was always treated as like the the big moment of the year, you know, until they started doing, um, you know, your pay-per-views and such. It was like, that's the one thing, even if you weren't watching Chikara, that was the one thing you had to make sure to check out each year. Yeah. Do you have a favorite King of Trios? I'm always going to be biased towards 2009 because that was my first that I attended <laughs> live. But the more I think about it, as much as I loved, I think 2011 is probably the best trios in terms of like wrestling and things of that nature. But honestly, the next year, 2012, like that finals, which was spoilers, the Young Bucks and Mike Bennett, who were representing <laughs> Ring of Honor at the time, being just goobers the whole tournament losing to finally Ultramanus Black getting some sort of recognition Chikara, him, Hallowicken, and Frightmare. Crossbones is a part of it. Delirious is a part of it. Yeah. Like, the emotion in that room was unbelievable. 
like pe- like fans bring, being brought to tears because they were so overjoyed that Ultraman is somebody that they loved who's been perpetually underrated in all of wrestling except for Chikara, finally getting his moment on this big stage in front of you know hundreds and hundreds of fans at the Easton Funplex is such a great moment. And there's a ton of Joshi wrestlers on that show. There's a ton of, there's an amazing comedy mat, like eight man tag. It, it just, I, I like that whole weekend is, you know, I don't know that the, for people who are like super about like, oh, I need all these matches to be four stars or whatever. Maybe not. But like <laughs> that weekend is just so unbelievably fun and good. And just the energy was insane. So I think 2012 is the King of Trios that doesn't get a lot of love. And it really should, especially that finals is up there with one of my favorite Chicago matches ever. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Ultraman is one of my favorites. I mean, I, I think he's awesome. Uh, Todd. Yeah. What about you? Talk a little bit about your King of Trios experience and your favorite tournament. I mean, a lot of my things are going to sound like I'm echoing uh, Kevin a little bit, but yeah, 2009, I didn't get to, now a lot of the King of Trios, I didn't get to go to all three nights, you know, since I, you know, was, um, you know, was kind of local, did have kids and sometimes, you know, would be like able to get out to some, but maybe not all. Uh, but in 2009, I did make it down to night two, got to see an awesome four way with uh, El Generico, <laughs> Jigsaw, um, um, uh, Bushi, of Jackson. course, and Nick Jackson. <laughs> Holy cow, that that just blew the roof off the joint there. But yeah, that and then you know, seeing uh Johnny Saint in person for the first mm-hmm. time there, like you know, stuff like that. I mean, it was just amazing. I'm like, oh my god, I got I couldn't make it to night three, but I'm like, I gotta make it down next year. I think the next year I went down uh I might have just made it for night three, I think. I think if I'm not mistaken. And then you know, a couple other years, and I know for the, the 2011, I made it for night one and three. I did miss night two, and I did uh Miss the uh, karaoke uh, stylings of the great Sasuke, but uh, you know, that's okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, 2012 was probably my favorite as well. Um, yeah, I did, I think I did get to go to all three, I think they went to all three nights of that one, or I went to all three nights of 2013. No, I think I went to all three nights of 2013, but 20, 2012, I remember going to that one and was with my daughter, and we were gonna like, we gotta somehow get a seat right next to the entranceway. And you can kind of see us on camera all night, but just so many great matches in that, especially that night three. Um, yeah, you kind of mentioned uh, you know the, the the two trios matches there, um, even the the tag gauntlet, which you know was Kevin's favorite match of the year. Uh, so <laughs> I'm saying that very sarcastically. Uh, but, but even even there, we had uh, a demolition showed up. Demolition was my favorite tag team from when I was a kid, and getting to see them in Chikara. I mean, they hadn't been there since that 2008 King of Trios, and they were not a announced they just popped in you know along with the powers of pain and all that and just getting to see that was awesome that eight-man comedy tag match is one of my favorite comedy i'm a big comedy fan like that is one of my absolute favorite comedy matches of all time uh 3.0 is in that colt cabana the swamp monster i mean there's just so much goodness in that um a couple other really good, you know, singing you know, other matches there, including Miami Toyota, you know, just a random Miami Toyota match thrown in there. <laughs> and then just that, that, that emotion of that, that, that finals was just, uh, you know, just absolutely amazing. So like that, that goes down as probably my favorite Shakar show I ever attended. What was that one? That tag on that had demolition versus powers of pain and then powers of pain versus one, two, three kid and Marty Janetti. Yep. <laughs> so if you're really into X WWF tag teams, that are uh, tag team champions, even yep. the power pain powers pain ever win the titles. No, they never won the titles, okay. But, yeah. but still, 
Yeah. That's well, three, and, that's three and, heck and of the, teams. And matches. the team that Demolition came out to beat was the uh, Devastation Devcorp, Corporation. That's right. right. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> awesome. Ah, uh, oh, man. I, I love hearing about this. And now, you know, I, I really want to go and, you know, go back and watch some of this stuff because some of it I've seen before, like some of the stuff you guys are talking about. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. But, uh, but you know, it's been a while. And, and uh, I mean, I think that that's one of the cool things, too, about obviously about having IWTV is that there's so, you know, it's so easy to access it. Because for a while, like you mentioned, Kevin, like, you know, really the only thing you do is either be there in person or by the DVDs. Um, there wasn't, you know, a, a streaming option. Um, and one thing that was also mentioned, uh, was the Joshi wrestling. Um, I, I think that you can't really have a conversation about Chikara without mentioning the way that they incorporated female talent into the, the promotion. Um, because there was no division. There were, there were no, you know, there was no like women's belt, men's belt, you know, there was no women's division, men's division, everybody wrestled everybody. And of course, eventually, you know, Kimberly would end up becoming the grand champion and they would be the first, you know, company, um, to have their, their big champion, um, be a woman. Uh, and, and of course, you know, the Joshi talent that would come in and of course, Minami Toyota being probably the biggest name, um, was something that started fairly early on and carried through up until the, the end of the promotion. Um, and I think that the, the way that they, you know, just had intergender wrestling be the norm as opposed to a feature or a special, um, has gone a long way to helping popularize that in North America and on the, on the independent scene today. Um, Todd, what are your thoughts on this? And we've, we've talked a little bit about this, I think, off mic. We haven't really talked about it in conversation on the podcast before or anything, but you and I have had conversations before about, you know, people like, you know, obviously Ruby Soho now being out there. I mean, she was a huge part of that for a while as well. Kimberly, you know, being a former champion. Um, talk a little bit about the way that, you know, the talent was used in Chikar differently than it would be in other large promotions. Yeah, I mean, that that was the whole thing. I mean, that, you know, again, is a little bit of a comic book, storyline behind it so you know in superheroes like you know there's men and and, and women superheroes and then chikara everybody's just a wrestler and i think that was kind of a, a cool way to go and you know i know my my daughter was you know got to go to a lot of shows with me and it, it was just the norm oh you know the women are just you know fighting the men and but you know at least it was realistic in how they did it too but you know but the women were, were you know were great wrestlers and they, the ones that they brought in were fantastic i mean the, the you know the sendai girls you know that's one joshi trio that i mean blew everybody away i mean the, i think the first year they came in like, oh, who are these guys here and then like <laughs> by the end they're like oh my god God, where they got to come back you know <laughs> like the please come back chance were very very loud for them and um it's just yeah overall i mean just how you know how they were to incorporate women expose different types of women wrestlers into the promotion have been great uh as well over the, you know over the years they i you know uh, uh um i know uh in the bdk they had uh sarah Ray and daisy hayes were in there yeah. they were the tag team you know for the, the big tag team for the bdk and it just seemed normal. I mean, there's, there's, you know, nothing, nothing, you know, didn't think twice about it. And they also had a, one of their King of Trios finals was two all women teams, two yes. all Joshi teams. Yes. Which is awesome. Yeah. I, I, I could never like picture the political machinations that go behind having to deal with so many different wrestling groups like that. Like with even like Joshi mania that whole weekend or, Oh, this, you know, the Sangai girls are going to beat the Tokyo Joshi pro people or, right. you know, even when you get into the Lucha stuff, like I, I, 
it, it, I mean, at least from the perspective of a fan, I'm sure there's plenty of that stuff, but it never seemed to be like a major deal. It would just happen to just be like neutral ground for a lot of these, these places. I'm sure there's results and stuff. I go back, I can be like, oh, okay, I can, I can see that. But otherwise it seemed like they, they had a lot of really great relationships with companies who those companies didn't have the best relationships with each other, but Jakar got to be pretty <laughs> neutral on that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, that is kind of a remarkable thing, you know, especially about King of Trios is the fact that there were wrestlers coming in from so many different promotions. And uh, you bring up a great point, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, the idea that that you could have somebody uh, who you know, wrestled for CMLL losing to somebody who wrestled for AAA or somebody who wrestled for Tokyo Joshi Pro losing to somebody from Sendai Girls or, you know, Osaka Pro versus Big Japan or, you know, Mitchell noku pro or whatnot i think that um there's there's something to be said for the way that the tournaments were often put together that you got to see such an amazing mix of talent and that it it felt i think as a fan there are today if you were to do like a big you know tournament like this and bring in talent from like new japan uh aew uh cmll you know uh, all across the world like you would start to kind of see okay this team probably isn't going to win you know it's like or or you'd see the guy who was going to be the fall guy or, or or whatever and i feel like a lot of times with king of trios there was something there was almost like an egalitarian nature to it that anybody could lose that anybody could win that it wasn't about egos it wasn't about you know who who's getting the biggest paycheck at the end of the night it was just about kind of like telling stories, having fun. And, you know, one team ends up winning and it's a great honor, but that it's more about the experience. And I think that's the other thing. It's like Chikara was almost always kind of about the journey and not as much about the destination. Um, the destination was important, but that the journey was, was going to be the fun, you know, seeing like, I, I like a guy like Hall Wicked is, is a great example of this. I mean, you take a look at the journey that like he went on throughout his entire career to where he ended up, uh, I don't know. It's kind of just incredible to think about that journey as opposed to the, the final, you know, destination, um, which is, which is cool. The payoffs important, obviously, but you've got to build it properly. Um, what are, what are some of your favorite storylines from, from the history of Chikara, Kevin? We talked a little bit earlier about this, obviously, but, but like, yeah, you know, the favorite storyline or favorite talent in particular, their storyline. Oh, geez. I mean, if, I think Hallowicked's a really great pick. If you're going to pick a trajectory from like start to finish, Mantis is another good one too, just because like they are a little bit more like comic booky and out there, but there's so much to it. And especially the people they're wrapped up in, including each other, like from the start of their career, basically till the end, they're intertwined. So there is like this, this anchor to it all as you go along. Um, but in terms of storylines, like I mentioned when I first got into it, like at late 07, I remember reading results and I saw like the announcement of like Chris Hero versus Equinox mask versus hair. Well, mm. I knew Chris Hero. I was a big Ring of Honor fan and I didn't know who this small, pale, skinny kid Equinox was. So I was pretty sure he was going to lose. But what I didn't count on was like he unmasks and they do this story where Chris Hero, trainer of the Wrestle Factory, is like, I knew who you, I know who you are. I had my suspicions. You're a kid who couldn't hack it. So you put on a luchador costume. You lied about being a trainee of Skyda to skirt our system to get in. And now I found you out. And now he gets ostracized from the locker room because of it and turns into Ben Gerard, who now has a, who has an ax to grind against Jakara. And I'm like, that's an awesome story. 
And I never have heard something like about like that before. So that was somebody who I really wanted to follow. And then the, the colony and fist rivalry is another one that like has mm. always been in Chikara through many permeations. It's one of those things where it's no matter who was in it, the, the, the names and the faces always changed, but those two groups are always at war, whether it's in, you know, Oh six, when they have these matches that kind of don't matter. Or when you get to their their masks and hair being on the line in 09, or even you jump ahead nine years, and it's a totally different group of guys, and they're having killer matches at King of Trios or WrestleMania weekend, and it still matters because those groups matter and their history matters. Yeah. Um, and then I think just like it's kind of like a one-off that had like sort of a, a beginning and end, like Eddie Kingston versus Tyler Wicked in 07 is a really great rivalry for those two. It produced some incredible Eddie Kingston promos. It, produce some really intense matches, which really stood out in, in how Chikar was in it. And it carried itself across from like, and it, and, and like Todd was mentioning, some of you imagine a card, you'd be like, Oh, well, that's kind of interesting. And it's this awesome eight man tag. It's blackout, which was Kingston's group versus Hallowicked in the colony. And it's an awesome match, but then that splinters off into blackout versus colony and Hallowicked versus Eddie Kingston for the rest of the season. And so it's, it's that stuff where you're like, man, like everything, like it, it seemed like so many things mattered. And if you didn't realize they mattered in about a year, you'd be like, yep. Okay. Now I know that why matter. that mattered yep. so much. Yeah. <laughs> so, so those are really like, like fist versus Connie, I think is the, is the biggest one, but in terms of like a short-term one to follow, like Eddie Kingston versus Hallowicked. And then one character to kind of follow their arc, it would be Mantis or Hallowicked for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I, I mentioned earlier, uh, Ultramatus Black is probably, I, I think, my favorite. If, if he's not my favorite Chikara, you know, character, if you will, then it would probably be Hollow Wicked. Um, so I'm, I'm so glad that you, you know, mentioned those two in particular. And, and I think the reason why they're probably my favorite is because of what you're saying. And I don't have the in-depth knowledge that you do. And I haven't necessarily seen as much as you have. But in what I have seen, what I have read, I, I just, yeah, it's clear to me that both of those guys um, had an incredible trajectory. And I think that the coolest thing is that even recently, you know, they've been featured on ring of honor. So it's like, you, you know, you're seeing this talent everywhere. You know, we mentioned AEW obviously, but even like looking at, at WWE, I mean, you've got uh, guys like Johnny Gargano and, you know, I mean, there are guys that, that worked for, you know, Johnny Gargano was a, a member of fist for a while. And so it's like, there's, there's, um, yeah, there's just an incredible glut of talent that that you know either got their start in Chikara or spent uh, a large portion of their indies career in Chikara that is now working on on larger stages. Uh, Todd, what about you? Any you know any like particular personalities that stand out or storylines that stand out for you? <sighs> I mean, there's just so many good ones there. I mean, one guy who I don't I don't know if gets a lot of lot of credit outside of Jakara is Icarus and his mm. whole storyline there. And you know, he's the most despicable guy ever and then eventually you know turns around being the guy to help save Chikara right know, which was kind of which was kind of neat um uh I think you know, even I'll even give a little credit to like one of the later stories is the whole uh Dasher Hatfield uh versus uh Mr. Touchdown uh the rivalry that came in very you know much later on uh, just the whole like you know the whole storyline behind that and I, I think there's some there's also some things you know that, that I think it's creeped in a couple of different times uh in the lore of the grand championship of uh, kind of a little bit almost like a lord of the rings type of uh you know uh you know 
getting a hold of the person and, you know, being their precious and they don't want to lose it. Like, you know, it happened with Eddie Kingston. It happened with Dasher Hatfield and some of those little, just other little influences there, I think have always been, you know, kind of cool and how that, you know, drives the whole storyline of that championship, even uh, having a storyline. I, I do want to, you, you reminded me of the Dasher thing. If people really want to go to like a super recent Jakarta show for recommendation, check out once upon a beginning, which was the WrestleMania weekend show. I know Todd and I were both at that one. That I think is as close to a perfect show they did like their last year Yeah, for like, for like what a WrestleMania show, especially is supposed to be like un- unbelievable. Um, so yeah, that, and that's 2019. That's super recent. So it, you don't have to go too far back at all to, to get on in. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I'll have to check that out because honestly, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of the more recent stuff that I missed out on uh, as well. So I'm looking forward to, uh, uh, to jumping back in. I know I'm, I'm excited for it now. Um, uh, so you mentioned, uh, or I think I mentioned the Campeona de Parejas earlier, and, uh, I'm curious as to, you know, your favorite tag teams, cause that belt was so important. Those belts rather were so important, um, to Chikara. And for a while, you know, it was really the, the only title, um, that they had, uh, until the grand championship came along. Um, so let's talk favorite tag teams. Cause that was a, a fundamental like cornerstone of the promotion. You know, we mentioned the trios action, obviously, and, you know, eight men tags and, you know, multi-man tags and, uh, you know, 10 man tags, et cetera, that they would do. But tag team wrestling was so important. Todd, what are some of your favorite Chikara tag teams? Um, well, so tag, I mean, you got to start with the, the, the colony, I think definitely has to be up there. Um, any particular iteration of the colony that you prefer? I think just fire and soldier ant, like you know that that that's the main duo right there. I mean, they they won me over in that mask versus hair match at the anniversario. I mean, that's when I was like, okay, I'm all in. I'm the best <laughs> there. Uh, I wonder what those guys are up to now, but, um, uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's probably number one, but there's so many great tag teams, uh, over the years. I mean, I'm a big fan of 2.0, 3.0, now back to 2.0. Uh, I've always enjoyed those guys, just, you know, how much fun they are. Obviously Los ice creams is just, you know, not for a serious tag team, but just for goofy fun has always been, uh, it was always a lot of fun to watch them as well. What about you, Kevin? I would. I, I was just thinking, I was like, you know, I remember after, like, I think right after King of Trios 08, a friend of mine got the Best of 07 DVD. And there's two tag matches on there that, like, I really recommend anyone check out. The first one is Los Ice Creams versus the Olsen Twins, mm-hmm. uh, which is Jimmy Olsen and Colin Olsen, not, not the Olsen Twins you may be thinking of. Uh, <laughs> So hysterically funny, like one of the best comedy tag matches I've ever seen. Um, and then a couple months later at the ECW arena, the Olsen twins face Cheech and Cloudy in an absolute banger of a tag team match. And it's on a Cibernetico show, which usually that sort of just like absorbs the rest of the card or whatever. And this really stuck out, like people who attended it or people who watch it later were like, I, I have a friend who like, that was the match that turned him into like a, a huge Chikara fan. Um, and those are two teams, I think, just because they kind of were before their time a little bit. Some of them have retired in the, like, you know, over a decade ago that they just don't get the love that they do, uh, that they deserve. But I think in a lot of ways, like wrestling kind of works out like, um, like they say, like your favorite SNL seasons, the one that you watch first. Well, for me, when I started watching the tag champions were Halloween and delirious. Mm. And I really have a soft spot in my heart for those guys. Um, and like you mentioned, when they, when they, came back to, when they did ring of honor and they had Frymer with them, 
You know, I mentioned like that was that trio's first match since April of 2009. And it got so much engagement and it's because people love those guys and and how good they were together, both as a trio and a tag team. And, you know, I think a lot of times when it comes to wrestling and Chikara, like people have such a hard time looking past the, the characters or some of the silly YouTube clips that get isolated out of context. And they're just like, that's, that's everything I about the promotion I need to know. And I think it's because of that, that a lot of those guys just don't get the love they deserve and delirious and how wicked our team, I think definitely deserves it. And even like uh, the super smash brothers had that for ages. And now they're finally getting their due yep. a decade plus later. Um, mm-hmm. And those guys were always awesome. So, and I'm trying to think of some more recent teams to give some love to. Um, uh, I, I, you know, one, I think it was some really interesting, unique moves was Crumbles and Defarge. Like I, I, was, I showed them. I was thinking about them and they're a team. Like I'll be completely honest when they came in 2016, I was like, this team sucks. I don't right. like them at all. Yeah. But the great thing about Chikara and something that I think is something that wrestling fans in general don't do is like, once you see once you see a person like that is your your opinion is stuck in ember like you don't change your opinion on that person but when you have a, a place like Chikar where so many of their new people are from their school a lot of them are, are just going to be unseasoned when they start but some the best part is is once you watch them years down the line and now they're more polished and they've worked elsewhere and they've come back you're like holy cow like this team is pretty great and that's and crumbles and defarge became a team i was like this team stinks don't want to see him forget about them to a team that like really had some excellent, excellent matches on those shows. And that's, and that's, that to me is such a great thing. I love about wrestling is, you know, whether it's in, you know, a a system like new Japan where you see a dojo kid debut. And then the next thing you know, they're Hiroshi Tanahashi or Tetsu United. (laughs) It's the same thing with Chikara to do to a much smaller extent. You see these characters and how those characters evolve or they'll start as something sort of innocuous and they build to something bigger and, and that's such a joy from that's something that I, as a wrestling fan really love seeing is people grow into whatever they become. And that to me is why like Chikara is so great. Like another, I think prime example of that is Dasher Hatfield. Yeah. He started as a creative oh. wrestler. Oh, yeah. I, I'd say maybe the worst wrestler on the roster. <laughs> and, then, and like only in a couple of years, like he was so great. And then he became the grand champion. It was like, and like today is still like a phenomenal wrestler. Oh, yeah. such an He's a very good professional wrestler. If I do, I sure is. He sure I was is. so bummed out with the injury that that he recently suffered. I mean, I know, I know he'll be back and it'll be fine. But well, man, he, he, just, he just wrestled at the uh, AEW uh, Dark. Uh, oh, did he really? Yeah. Okay. Some Dark Elevation this week. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Also, awesome. also wrestled on the beach with some other uh, extra car folk in a, a six man tag. Oh, uh, at, the, at the Beyond show. He did. Those Chicago oh, folk cool. are really good at six man tags. If you didn't know, uh, how about oh, yeah. that? <laughs> you know, trio, trios matches, if you will. Yes, yes, so. Um, so, okay. So, so we, we, we've covered kind of all the big, uh, big ones here. There's two that we haven't. And, and, and I want to get to them real quick before we, we go home. Uh, and that would be the young lions cup. The young lions cup obviously was uh, very important. I feel like to, to the fed, uh, the, the fact that this was something that it wasn't like, well, we had a tournament and, and now you, you know, you're the perpetual champion for the next year or whatever. It was actually defended like a title. And so you could like win or lose this cup even after you, you know, kind of won it. So, um, Kevin, talk a little bit about the young lions cup and name like your favorite holder of the young lions cup. So the young lions cup was actually Chikara's very first title. It was crowned at the end of their first season in December of 2002. And it actually changed when it first started. It was, 
competitors with 50 matches or less were the people who could vie for the title, which at the time was their entire roster basically, (laughs) because it was all their students. And then a couple people who they like picked up from a previous Pennsylvania company. Uh, But then over time it became 25 years or younger, which was still a lot of their students, but it also led to a lot of outside talent uh, coming in and and being found uh, from Chikar and being picked up full time. Uh, And and that's a kind of a similar thing that King of Trios did too, is, some of the staples like the soul touches who would come back as like semi-regulars in Chikara were just this random Midwest team that showed up and did that show. And then they were such so beloved. They became a big part of the company that happened to Pinky Sanchez with the young lions cup. Um, and because at that time, especially it was just the, the Campeonatos de Parejas, that was the singles title was being the young lions cup holder. And it also had a very unique set of rules in that you could only hold it once so once you lost it, even if you were still within the age requirement, you're done. You can't challenge yeah. for it again. Uh, and that was a great rule too, because it, it, you know, a lot of times you get like somebody anchoring a title and always kind of like hovers around that person. And then some challengers, you're always getting somebody fresh with the young lions cup. You know, you can have some rivalries and things like that, but once that person loses it, you move on to the next person, which is great for like a, if you're facing like a, a stable, like the colony, like Finn Gerard beats fire ant, he's got to move on to worker ant. Um, but it really became, and then even when the grand championship was in play, obviously it was a lot of the top people in the the company that were vying for that. But the Young Lions Cup was a great way to sort of spotlight a newcomer or, or a younger talent. Um, and even like uh, I before Kimberly was the grand champion, Heidi Lovelace was the Young Lions Cup champion, and she got to carry that, and that was and that was a lot of fun. Uh, favorite holder, I I would probably say Frightmare. I think he mm. ended up with the most successful defenses. Yeah. No, actually, that got broken by uh, Still Life. Oh, that's right. That's right. And you know what? She is re- she is very high up there. Like her, Frightmare, and and Mister Touchdown would probably be my top three. Um, but I think the best Young Lions Cup match, and a lot of people say this is the finals of Young Lions Cup six, Fire Ant versus Vin Gerard. Oh yeah. Unreal atmosphere. And by the way, that match is on YouTube. Go check it out, even if you have IWTV. But yeah, so so it was really unique because like you almost had like the roster broken into different segments where it was like, here's your main guys who are going to go for the grand championship. You've got the teams who are going to go for the tag titles or maybe be focused on like a what's coming up with King of Trios. And then you had your your young lion, Lions yeah. Cup. Yeah. It's amazing seeing some of the names that showed up in those tournaments over the years. Like I remember like, you know, them announcing guys, I'm like, who are these guys? Like this matchup, like Adam Cole and Ky- versus Kyle O'Reilly. Who the heck are these guys? I don't know who these guys are, you know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, just over the years, there's so many, like, you know, you know who's who has like popped into that tournament. I feel like there's a million examples like that between that and King of Trios. Yeah. Right. Like, like I remember even like King of Trios 2015 had like Pete Dunn, Mustache Mountain, Mark Andrews, yeah. and like they were good wrestlers, but they weren't like Pete Dunn and Mustache Mountain and those guys. Yeah. And then, gosh, even it was just like a year or so later, they exploded. So, yeah, that's that's just a beautiful thing I th- think about independent wrestling. And I would tell people like with live shows and stuff like, man, go go see these shows. Go get these pictures with these guys while you can before they blow up or are somewhere else where you can't. 
Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, the King of Trios is a great example of that, but Young Lions Cup is uh, as well. And there's so many names, you know, that we've mentioned that going back, you know, over 10 years. And it's funny because some of these names, you know, you, you think of as having kind of a national spotlight, maybe only within the last five years. But you go back, you know, five years before that and you realize it's like, you know, no, nobody's an overnight sensation. You know, I mean, even thinking about like the Young Bucks, it's like, I mean, these guys have been around for a long time and then working their asses off for such a long time and putting on great matches for such a long time it's like you know aew is almost kind of like reaping the benefits of of, of all the mileage they put in prior to that you know um By the, way, you know, the, the first promotion to fly them <laughs> was chikara yeah their first their very first east coast booking was chikara king of trios 2009 they came yep. with el generico as a team so and they'll still mention that in in their book and in, in podcasts and stuff like chikara was the first people and I remember like watching them in like Bola 07 and stuff. And like, it was a, a year until they were getting enough traction that Jakara flew them out. And I think it turned out pretty well. Yeah, yeah it worked out. It worked out. Um, well, that brings us finally to the grand championship. We talked about it a couple of times, um, but uh, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I think Kevin, I know who you're going to mention just based off of what you've talked about before, but who's your favorite grand champion? Ooh, uh, I mean, favorite grand champion, I think has to be Eddie Kingston. He, mm. he he was the first, and I mean he was the guy. And I'm a big proponent of the man makes the title, not the title makes the man. Totally, especially especially when you're the first, and especially when you kind of set the tone. Like, what is this title going to be like? And the the thing, like the little thing I loved about Eddie Kingston is he referred the title as her. Yeah, he mm-hmm. gave it a human pronoun and a distinction to show you how important that title was to him, and. Like, it's so funny to me because, like, Eddie Kingston's always a guy that people think is, like, the antithesis of Chikara, but there's so right. many things about him that I think really represent Chikara so well. And the amount of defenses he had against it, like, Brody Lee, Kevin Steen a couple times, just like and, – and a lot of people who at the time um, – I don't think people really knew like, could this person quote go in like a main event, like your Dasher Hatfields, like your green ants, like a lot of those guys, I think were propelled to the next level because of their grand championship match with Eddie Kingston. Um, and it's because of that importance. I think that made all the subsequent defenses. So the, or, or winnings of it too, like Icarus, like Icarus beating Eddie Kingston when Chikar relaunched, I think it's, it's partially because it's, it's Icarus being the guy to finally defend Chikara. Uh, but it's because it's against Eddie Kingston too. Yeah. Um, and I think like if there wasn't that prestige, like obviously Kimberly winning the title was going to be a big deal no matter what, but it's because of all that work that came before that, why it made it stand out so much. Um, so because I think it's so important for that groundwork to be laid, like Eddie Kingston to me would be, would be the, the champion. Yeah, I you know it's it's funny. I I've had the pleasure of getting to talk to Eddie Kingston a couple of times and um, interview him for my old podcast. And uh, I, I I mean I I I love him. I, I'm so fortunate to have gotten to see him you know live a lot here in Chicago at AEW uh, or AAW shows. Excuse me. Um, and uh, he's always been a, a guy that I've just enjoyed so much. Even when there are times at AAW shows where the crowd would just like just crap all over him, you know, in the spirit uh, of Chikara, I'm going to say crap or poop. Maybe I should say poop, uh, poop all over them. Uh, and, 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 and it was just so strange to me because there are so many little things that he would do, um, 
that I felt like were just the hallmarks of a guy who's on another level. And I think that, yeah, in Jakar, that was absolutely true. I think, you know, and that's no disrespect to the rest of the roster, but at the time when he won that championship, I feel like he was really the only guy that could win that championship. And he, he was the right guy to be the first champion. Um, I think if I'm not mistaken, I'm guessing that the original plans were going to be Eddie beating Claudio. Cause that was kind of like the whole story was Eddie and Claudio earlier that year. Yes. Yeah. And, then, and then Claudio got signed and it had to be changed to quack versus Kingston. But in, in insanely, those guys had never had a singles match before. So it kind of worked out as like a big marquee match anyways. Yeah. Um, and Todd, what about you? Would you, who would you say would be your favorite? Coach? I mean, I, I have to agree completely with Kevin on that. I mean, Eddie just set, set the tone for that. I mean, it was the perfect guy to have that mantle at first and yeah, just some of the matches he had early on, you know, were just amazing. I think you know, the the one in particular I remember always stood out is the the one with Green Ant, and just kind of really bringing Green Ant up to the next level. Where you're like, oh, why is he getting? Why is he going to fight him? How is that going to be an interesting match? And it was absolutely phenomenal. So yeah, just yeah, I have to say that. I mean, later on ones. I, I mean, I I think I really enjoy the Dasher Rain later on. Uh, I'm trying to think who some of the other ones in there. Obviously, we talked about Kimberly. So, Touchdowns title win against Juan Francisco was really excellent. A lot of the title changes themselves are really really good. I'm I'm still a little salty that Ultraman is this title win was kind of hidden behind the secret season. Oh, especially true. because like yeah. man, like that felt like it was like at that time was like that would have been their biggest marquee match they would have had. So it's yeah. like, why would you not do this in front of people and get like people to pay tickets to go see this match? That felt like a match that like truly would have had would have drawn a big audience and been yeah. this big thing. And you know, I under it's it's about the risk taking we talk about. Like you got to have something of that importance behind the secret. Yeah, season. we never even mentioned the secret season. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much we haven't talked about. You know, I mean, I, I wanted to kind of segue quickly into Larry Sweeney because we, you yeah. know, we're talking about Grand Champion and Twelve Large Tournament. You know, it's like I feel like there's so much that we yeah you know, we haven't had a chance to get to. So I hope we can do this again sometime um, because I don't want to fatigue anyone. You, you know, much less mm-hmm. our, our listeners. Um, but but yeah, I I, I feel like there's there there's so much ground to cover. I mean, we're talking about a promotion that was around basically for you know almost 20 years and and really packed so much in. So I feel like we've, you know, we've 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 done a good job of covering most of the basics here. Um, but I, I suppose what would be what would be the next step, you think? You know, Kevin, like if we were gonna if we were gonna take this and do a part two, you know, what would be our jumping off point, you think? That's a tough question. I think Larry, <laughs> Larry Sweeney of himself is obviously a great topic, you know, you know, very not to get too morose, but like, I feel like him, Brody Lee would be a really great topic. Totally. Because he, I would say like, if you look at his pre WWE career, like so much of the most important stuff of his career happened in Chikara, yeah. even transitioning into like the Brody Lee look that we all came to know mm-hmm. as Luke Harper. And then that evolving into what he became when he became Brody Lee again in AEW. Um, but I think even talking about some some of the tournaments like the Global Gauntlet, uh, like the 12 Large Summit, even like a little bit of the challenge, the Immortals, which got its own Phil Singer set representation. Yeah. That that a lot of that stuff I think would would uh be worth getting into. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. And one thing that we have not really talked about at all, oddly enough, is 
the the sheer number of sets that Phil Singer Games produced um, with Chikara. The Chikara like starter set is probably one of the coolest sets that Phil Singer Games has ever produced. And I, I will go out there and I will absolutely say that. I love that set. I think it's awesome. I think it's one of the few, I mean, the Ring of Honor set, yes, but it's one of the few sets for, you know, indie feds, um, even Legends feds, honestly, when you think about it, that you can just purchase a set and you've got a fed. You've got everything you need to have your fed right there. Um, it's it's such a great set. I love that set. Um, and there's so many great. This is the uh, the really the first uh, real life color set that we ever did as well. Because uh, you know, we had just started champions in color and like okay, we we knew at that point you know the legends line was continuing in black and white. And it's like, well, we wanted to kind of do something in the indies, and it kind of just seemed like the natural thing, you know, with kind of like the sci-fi stuff with Champions, Shakara just seemed like the perfect thing, comic booky, cartoon, uh, uh, you know, do, doing a set around that. And so that that was our first foray into the indies, and I think it was a great introduction. That, yeah, that's how I got into the game in <laughs> at at large was because of this. I I I had seen the cards I they. My my friend Chris had always been collecting the cards as a kid, and I had uh, when we became friends, I had seen some of the black and white cards of the the knee sets and stuff, and I thought they were cool. But it was really when the Chikara set launched, and it was in color. I was like, I have to get that, even if yeah. you're just like a collector. And and I I right. even when I collected them, I was just like, I have no interest in learning how to play this game. These cards just look cool. That yeah. changed, but at the time, it was just like even as just like a collector's item or just like a Chikara product. The art was so amazing. The roster was so robust. And even to this day, it's like, it's the only way to get Eddie Kingston and Brody Lee. Right. So if, you're, if you're fans of those guys, like this is a must have set. And Absolutely. I mean, even if the rest to you are just bonuses, like there's so, they're such great art. There's such great, uh, I think some underrated cards in that set too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I mean, well, you know, it's funny cause I'm looking at the set and now I'm thinking like, man, we didn't talk about Tim Dunst. We didn't talk about, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like there's so much that we didn't, there's really, a lot more we didn't talk about Archibald Peck. We Archibald Peck. I was about to say, like, come on. How do we, how do we you know, there's talk, just talk about his storyline uh, right there, which was oh. in terms that guy. Oh. oh gosh. We could, that could be a whole podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you know, man, and, hey, we got man the, is the a DeLorean on one of his cards. Cards. <laughs> I'm sorry. What was that Kevin? <laughs> I say the man has a DeLorean on one of his cards. Right. Right. Come I'm sure on. if you just get that, you're like, why? If you don't know why. It's like, oh, there's a reason. You know, I, and, and I'm looking here now at some of the, you know, the the other sets that would come out, but like Kodama and Oberian, like the Batiri, like I, I love that tag team. I mean, there's so much like cool stuff here um, throughout the course of the sets. Um, you know, the Wrecking Crew set is is fantastic. You know, how, how could you not want that set uh, uh, for you? I mean, Sydney Bacabella alone is, is worth the price of admission there. Um, and then, of course, the, you know, the King of Trios set from 2016, which has Princess Kimberly and the Heidi Love lace card um i i mean there's just so so many cool cards um that we got as a result of uh, the the chikara sets and and you know it was the first appearance for a lot of guys you know like johnny gargano we ended up getting another card for with the evolve set but um yeah there's just some amazing stuff to be mined from from the chikara sets and this is in no way me trying to like shill the sets or anything like that i just think that they're cool sets and there's a lot of cool stuff and it's much like the promotion there's a little something for everybody because there's like some some really great wrestlers there's some great comedy talent there's some great you know mid card open match you know there's just a lot of stuff that promoters could use even if they're not necessarily running a chikara fed um 
One of the other things that's really cool to mention is that the introductory booklet has the uh, Lucha tag rules, um, which is, as far as I know, it's the only way you can get those rules, right, Todd? Like the out of the ring Lucha as tag right chart? Now, yeah, you have, to, yeah. you have to get that. That's uh, Yeah, that was a lot of fun developing those. That was one of my brainchilds right there was that. I think it worked out really well. I love it. I, I've used it on some of my indie fed. In fact, my indie fed that I run currently, that's that's how I do my tag matches is on oh, Lucha cool. rules. So I, I, I love that stuff. Um all of this is to say that we could keep talking for a very, very long time about all of this. And I really hope that we get to do a part two, because Kevin, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so, so much for joining us and having this conversation with us tonight. Sure. No problem. I got all my sets sitting next to me. We didn't even get to I know. go through and talk about them a little bit, but that's, that's okay. I think, but, but even as I was going through them, I was like, man, this is such a robust roster. Like if you just stuck to Jakar and you didn't venture into any indie things, like you have, a lot of sets in a deep roster. That was kind of the great thing about Chicard and making the cards in general was just that, you know, in, so, in some other companies, just because of the way they run, like the roster turn isn't the same or the characters just maybe aren't as exciting. And that was never a problem with Chikara. Even if the roster turn from one set to the next wasn't as huge, there was always older characters to mine or an update that was to be needed. And every set feels like, so unique like if you throw out a name to me it's like i can identify who's in that set because of that title i like and it gives me a crystal clear picture of chikara in that time period too which is a great thing about those sets um, yeah yeah. So, yeah yeah good stuff good really great uh just a, a again like a giant robust roster to get for more i mean technically like six years but really it went to like 2019 there were still some chikara cards being put out in in places yeah, yeah absolutely. we went uh yeah from so actually from 20 summer 2011 was the first one the last one was the young lion set which was in the early part of 2018 well you so you forgot uh did we night do another one? nighthawk and promoter prime yep. and then there was the boomer hatfield oh, card that's right. right we did do the boomer hatfield in 2019 You're and right. if you if you want to stretch it just a little bit we just got the edith surreal card uh in, in promoter prime recently so i mean there's there's a couple cards from like, even if they're not technically Jakar cards, like you need them for your. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, let's face it. Edith is like such a great example of a talent that has, I mean, she is out there just kind of grinding it and, and, and really has made an incredible name for herself over the past year in particular. But that's not to say that what she was doing in Jakara, you know, it wasn't like she was under the radar there, you know, young lions cup. Um, I, I mean, she was always someone to kind of have the spotlight and, uh, um, Rightfully so, you know, and I love what she's yeah. done since then. Her storyline with Blank is super underrated from that last year of Chikara. And I think like they're, they're, they have a match at King of Trios night two that is really powerful and emotional, especially if you've been following that story. And just as someone, again, who watched that, those characters from their, their start through their evolution to where they were for them to get like that singles payoff during a King of Trios weekend. Because that's, I mean, that's sacred time, those three nights in, yeah. in who gets those non-tournament matches. So for them to get it was huge. And another another kind of like underrated story and match to check out. Yeah. Awesome. One other thing I'm going to say about the King of Trios thing that I just love also is just the format of the weekend was always like a great thing. And the one thing we didn't talk about that, we were talking about the, the King of Trios. The first night, you get to see all the trios. Like everybody's announced, every trio's announced, you get to see them all eight trios matches the next night you get to see the second round with four of those trios and then there's a couple other extra matches put in including the um 
uh, Rene Voladores usually was was put in later on. So like the, yeah. you get some big high flyers, some other special guests that come in. And and I also love that no matter how every year they made it crystal clear, like if you want to see all these trios go to night one, yes. <laughs> yes. there's no guarantee you're going to see every other people in night two and three. Cause that, I mean, that was sure. just the nature of the fandom is to fantasy book. Like who's going to go where and right. Mm-hmm. If you're fantasy, like, oh, well, this guy, this they have to lose because this guy's got to be Rene Villadores, exactly. Yeah. Or like, oh, but if this guy loses and this guy loses, then you get this really awesome singles match on night three and stuff. They had to just be without saying names, but like, guys, if you want to see everybody yes. go to night one and inevitably get someone like you know, Todd on night two or, or three, just being like, wait a minute, I thought so and so was on this. <laughs> it's like, we said go to night well, one. Well, is that like- I'm not saying Todd ever said that, but there's people in that position too who would only get to go to one or one night or the other. Right. Well, like, like my first year, I came to night, came to night two. I missed night one. I wanted to see the Young Bucks because we had just released cards for them. I'm like, oh, I wanted to see the Young Bucks. They got eliminated in the first night. Of course, I've been. I mentioned to somebody there. I'm like, oh yeah, too bad I get the the Young Bucks. Uh, you know, uh, lost last night. I think it was to it was to the Assyrian portal. And of course, I'm saying it to Ophidian, who I didn't even realize. You know, it was there. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> But oh, and another man. thing about that King of Trios weekend that was always fun was the fan conclave as well yes. on the Saturday afternoon, which was always like super duper fan friendly. Lots of like things you could do with the talent. I think that the, the autographs and, and pictures were always free. That was a big thing. Even if they charge other times, you know, they always like, hey, if you're going to come to this, we make it fan friendly. You, you know, people get pictures and autographs and stuff like that, which was which was pretty neat. And then just, you know, cool, just interactive things with all the guys. And again, that was kind of like more the, the family reunion part of the, the weekend. Yeah. But it's like, I get to have like, I played rock band with Lindsay Dorado and Ricochet. <laughs> yes. I got to sing, I think we're alone now with Ryan Cruz of the North star express. Like, I talked to Icarus about Lost for a half an hour. Like, yeah. there's just things you get to do at the fan con. They, they get the the fun photo booth. There's a photo that, yeah. that pops up on my pops up my Facebook every every year, and it's me, Mike Molesky, and Jim Steele with uh, um, Ultramantis Black and Crossbones, just you know, in the photo booth. You know, it's just, just fun things like that. You one, know? It's great. one of my favorite memories from that is I remember I, I met Leonard F. Carson and got a and was talking to him and got a. It's like. Hey, have you ever met D'Lo Brown? And he points, it's like, I'm like, no, I haven't. He's like, well, he's over there. Like, I'm going to be here every show. D'Lo Brown isn't. So <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you know, you make a good point. And I went and got a photo with D'Lo and he was cool. So uh, that was a lot of fun. That's cool. That's cool. You know, I, and I'm just thinking of, of other things that we haven't mentioned. We didn't even mention Jack. And, you know, such a huge member of, oh, of yeah, our, it's true. you know, our <laughs> Pilsinger Games oh, family, my God, Jack yes. Rockos, Gavin Loudspeaker. It's like, oh, my God. You know, it's like there's so there's just there's so much to 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 talk about. And, and that's why I really think that we should we should you know put it on the calendar do do a chikara night too we should do our own trios we should do three chikara episodes not right in a row no not right in a row not right in a row but that way we'll finally be able to you know to maybe pack in uh, a good quantity uh, of chikara fun i hope i hope jack is not somebody who hates compliments because boy do i have a lot to give to him about him his uh mc role in chikara just oh wouldn't be the same without him for sure. No, no. Yeah. He anchored those, those, those prime years for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, he was amazing. 
Well, uh, again, this has been a blast. I, you know what? I'm going to put one last question to us, Ooh, but I'm going to move us away from Chikara, believe it or not. We're going mm. into general wrestling territory. This is something I wanted to do, and I almost forgot about it, so I'm glad I remembered at the last moment here. Recently, our friends over at the Uncharted Territory podcast did an episode where they talked about, like, you know, who the best champion was from each of the three, you know, big feds from like the territorial days. So AWA, NWA, and WWF or WWWF, who were the best long-term champions. And, you know, the, the, the criteria basically was that it had to be like a multi-year champ. This, you know, even a year wouldn't necessarily be long enough to be considered, uh, you know, the, the, the criteria for this particular, um, question. And of course, names that, that were kind of out there a lot where were like, um, you know, Harley Race, Luke Fez, Dory Funk Jr., uh, uh, Ric Flair, you know, for, for NWA. Uh, for AWA, it really kind of boiled down to Vern and, and, and Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, for WWWF, it was basically Bruno, Backlund, and Hogan were like the big, you know, the big three for that. So I, I, it made me think, well, I, we got to answer that question too. And I think this is a great panel. So uh, I'm going to throw it over to you, Todd. AWA, do you go with Vern? Or do you go with Bachwinkle? Now, I'll admit, I did not watch either one of them, you know, while I was going on. Um, but if I, yeah, I kind of going through that, um, I would have probably picked Vern okay. over Bach. Uh, I think just because of just, you know, he was the essence of the AWA. Uh, you know, a couple of his, you know, his runs there, some that, you know, were maybe a little later in life than was you know, maybe a lot of people thought, but uh, I, I gotta say he is the AWA. So I, I would pick him as my AWA champ. Kevin, what about you? I'm way too young and away from out of that era to know too much <laughs> about the AWA, but I would go Bachwinkle in general, just because of the, the charisma and the promo style and how much influence he had. Plus about a couple years ago, I watched the, uh, the current Henning 60 minute draw on that match. Mm. So yeah, absolutely. It, it's a tough one because on one hand, uh, I, I want to, you know, I want to give it to Vern because I've seen, you know, some early footage of Vern and some of the stuff that he was doing back in like the 60s is so different from a lot of what you were seeing other guys do. It was like this weird combination of sort of that mat based almost Olympic style, you know, wrestling mixed with some some kind of like more agile, almost high flying sort of stuff. Um, but I would I would have to give it to Bachwinkle too. I just think Bach Winkle, there was something about the way that he carried himself and, 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 and there was, you know, there's obviously more access to footage with him, but even still, there's a lot of stuff we're missing. So he would be my AWA choice. Um, Todd, let's go now to the NWA. Who would you choose between Fez, Dory Funk Jr., Harley Race, or Ric Flair? I gotta go Ric Flair. I mean, he kind of, you know, transcended, you know, so many different things. I mean, when, when wrestling was, you know, boomed later on, maybe, you know, something outside the NWA, he was still just as big of a part of it there. And, you know, just having so many amazing matches, having so many amazing, you know, promos and stuff like that. Um, you know, so many matches with so many different styles, the guys, I'd have to give it to Flair. Kevin, I, w- I would too, for all those reasons that I think like he was the guy who had to carry the NWA into the pay-per-view television yeah. era. Like, yeah. That guy. <laughs> 
It, yeah, it's it's tough for me. You know, I'm going to go ahead and dissent, not because I wouldn't pick Flair, because honestly, if I'm pressed, I'm going to pick Flair too. But I'm going to go ahead and throw Luthez out there. And the main reason being is that, like, I, you know, Thez was the guy that they they really kind of ran with the most early on. He's the guy that, you know, beat a lot of the other sort of regional world championships to kind of make sure that the NWA World Championship was one belt as opposed to being multiple titles throughout North America. Uh, and, and, and I think that the impact that he had on professional wrestling globally in general, I mean, you think about what he did in Japan with Ricky Doza and you think about the stuff that he would do, you know, you know, in, in Canada and uh, throughout the rest of the United States. I think that, you know, there's just such a huge importance. And, and that the other thing that I really appreciate about Lou Thez that Ric Flair didn't do as much is that Thez could go anywhere and he could be the heel or the baby face as needed. Whereas I feel like Flair was almost always universally coming as the heel and the baby yeah. face was getting pushed up to, to meet him. And I think that there was a little bit more versatility to Thez's game where he could go and he could be the heel if he needed to be he could be the baby face if he needed to be um but i think that's probably more circumstance than it was true skill because i think flair you know obviously has proven that he can do whatever as well uh okay so now here we go this is this is going to be an interesting one wwwf bruno backland hogan todd go i'll throw back backland's out it's really between bruno and hogan i was gonna uh, say how is backland even part of this conversation he's for so long yeah yeah long that's time. wild and he had like i mean and the guys he, he faced was you know like a, a great you know series of guys but I, it's 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 really either bruno or hogan uh that the, this one is the the toughest one uh for me i mean obviously Everybody knows Hulk Hogan. You know, he kind of transcended wrestling, uh, you know, into pop culture in the 80s, uh, which I don't think Bruno ever truly did. But if you thought of wrestling, like if any, like any of our, like, you know, grandparent or parents or grandparents, depending how old you are, you know, you, you said, you know, a wrestler and stuff like everybody thought of Bruno San Martino and the, 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 the streak of, you know, what the business was of the day and, you know, how much he was able to sell and bring people in. Uh, I guess I'd leave Bruno, but this it's super tough. This is really, really tough. Yeah. Kevin. Yeah, it's, it almost feels like two different eras you're comparing. Absolutely. Um, and, I, yeah. and I think that's part of it with Todd too. It's like, you know, if you need to sell out the garden every month and go to your, you know, to Boston, Pittsburgh and those areas and sell tickets and Hogan was selling tickets too, but now you're getting on, you know, closed circuit and then pay-per-view and television and all that stuff. So it's so different to say, and you know, like I wasn't alive for any of Bruno's reign. Uh, I actually, actually, you know, like the year I was born is when uh, I think the, the greatest wrestler won the title of Macho Man Randy Savage, WrestleMania <laughs> 4, Todd. And yep. That's a favorite of yours. That is my favorite. That's uh, what I got into it. Yep. Can I say Randy Savage? I mean, I know as a champion, that <laughs> yeah, was a year, whatever. Um, he held it one year. I mean, just over a year, they might qualify. He did, yeah, I think it was like, I think it was like was a day a, over a year, maybe. Or something. It was a great <laughs> year. That, that storyline yeah. was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, just because it's more part of my life and I know more about it, I guess I'd say Hogan. Um, yeah, but man, like I bet if there was like a, a, a way, and, I, and I'm sure there's a lot of these tapes out there, but there's a way to see so much of that Bruno title. And I bet I would stay Bruno. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing I'm, I'm leaning there as well, and, and I'm sorry if I'm going to step over you here, Sam, is that no, when, when, you know, Hogan was it, it was, you know, the attraction was the WWF and all the superstars there that were part of it back in Bruno's day, everybody went for Bruno. Not every, I mean, a lot of people went for Hogan, 
but it was kind of the WWF. I, I think back in his day, the attraction was Bruno. It wasn't necessarily the WWF. Yeah, the, the interesting thing to me about this is that if you look at the the names as a draw, you've got Bruno, who was basically drawing the card, you, you know, on his name alone. You know, um, that said, work rate was not the order of the day. You know, it was punching, kicking, headlock, bear hug. You know what I mean? Like it was just like go in there, give the fans, you know, what they want or whatever. Uh, and it, 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 you know, in some ways, it mirrored frankly, what Hogan would do, you know, 20 years later. Um, and I, I, I get that as a draw that Bruno was, was huge. Um, you know, you've got Hogan who as a, as a draw, it, it, it's the, the funny thing is that Bruno is a huge name. And when you mention wrestling, people are inevitably probably going to throw his name out there. But when you mention wrestling, if there's one name that really kind of eclipses nearly every other it, it, it is Hogan. And I think that that's changed and shifted some over the past decade, frankly, but that, that, you know, for a while there, he was the biggest name. That's all there was to it. Um, but I'm going to once again, kind of go against the grain and I'm actually going to go with Backlund. And the reason I'm going to go with Backlund is that he had the work rate that the other two didn't have that there are, you know, that, that, that basically if you look at the actual numbers and when he was drawing and how he was drawing, um, he was at his peak drawing just as well as either one of those guys, um, if not better in some instances. Um, the biggest knock against Backlund is that as his reign went on, he really started to lose steam and, and, and lose a little bit of his drawing power, um, whereas Bruno never really lost that. Um, Hogan definitely did. So I, I think that there's a case to be made for any of the three of them, honestly. But as a guy who wants to, you know, just, just see great wrestling, um, I'm going to go with Backlund because I feel like Backlund could outwork both of those guys. Uh, unless you're watching, you know, Terry Balea face the great Muda in New Japan Pro Wrestling. But other than that, uh, <laughs> I just I, I just thought it was such a great conversation that they had. And I wanted us to be able to kind of give an answer back. So I'm glad that we had the opportunity to do this. Um, I'm really glad we got to talk about Chikara. Uh, Kevin, again, thank you so much for joining us. Do you have anything that you want to plug? Anything that you want to talk about before we get out of here? So if you're really curious about Chikar and want to look more up a bit, I still have my Chikar review blog up, which is chikarspecial.wordpress.com and my Tumblr, chikarspecial.tumblr.com, where I would post news and updates and match announcements stuff for Chikara. I basically spent a decade demystifying Chikara for people yes. who thought it was too impenetrable. Um, <laughs> and it's because I loved it so much and I wanted other people to watch the thing I also love. And so all that's there. If you're wondering like, what's a good show to watch or what's a good match to watch, check out those two resources I have. Uh, go watch some fun videos. I, I do keep at least the Tumblr updated with some fun stuff where, you know, if an old match gets posted or even something like, um, you know, something outside of the company on, on the indies or an AW or something, or, you know, podcast somebody does, that's an extra car person that uh, deserves some, some eyes or ears. I'll still post it up there. Cause I, you know, I still support those people. I, fo I follow the people, not the letters, as I like to say. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, the, uh, the the Tumblr and everything and the, the car special, I think, was uh, a, a big resource to me when I was first getting in because, as you mentioned, there was things everywhere. It wasn't all in one spot, like, except for, you know, Kevin was able to bring all that in, including, like, a lot of the promos from the videos and stuff like that that weren't necessarily posted uh, elsewhere. You know, those were all, and then that was also contributed a lot to the storylines for, you know, people that weren't able to get every DVD, at least being able to follow the, the interviews on that and being able to bring in all the different pieces that were on, you know, websites versus 
you know, all these different places that, that, uh, that things would be posted, uh, having it in one spot was, was much appreciated. So thank you for that, Kevin. Yeah. Of course. It's, uh, I, I just, I had to go double check cause I wanted to make sure I didn't want to tell a fib here. Uh, I actually have it bookmarked. Uh, and the reason why I know that this is a very old bookmark is because I haven't updated my bookmarks and I haven't added a bookmark in years. Um, so I've had, I've actually had that page bookmarked for a long time. That's not to say that I was visiting a, a lot recently to be completely honest with you, but, uh, I have had it bookmarked for a very long time. So, uh, yeah, if anyone's listening to this and they haven't dipped their toe into the Chikara waters, it's a great resource for that. Um, as, as are quite frankly, the sets, um, and, uh, and IWTV is, is, is another great resource for that uh, as well. So um, we hope that this is uh, either, you know, sparked some interest, uh, has, has, has really kind of like um, maybe stirred up some, some old memories for people that follow Chikara closely that are listening to this um, and feel free to join the conversation. Um, obviously uh, we'll be over in the message board. So, uh, you know, tell us some of your memories and uh, maybe some topics that you'd like to hear us discuss in the future um, about Chikara or, or just in general. Um, and of course, don't forget the pre-orders are live now for the new sets, which include the Indies Deathmatch set, Future Shock uh, 2117, and the Legends of Wrestling uh, Special Edition uh, 4-pack, uh, as well uh, as, of the, course, the Nick, Nick Gage, Gage card too. Don't forget Special about the Edition card. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not going to forget Nick F. and Gage. Um, and uh, also, of course, the, the holiday kickoff um con um get your ticket if you can't join us still get your ticket that way you won't miss out on uh what is sure to be a really cool uh and and sought after special edition card by folks that do miss out because i think this is going to be it's going to be a good one um and uh yeah anything else todd before we get out of here um yeah so last uh, legends teaser for the four pack is this friday uh next week we're going to cover a little bit of the prime releases so monday we're going to uh, talk about the uh, cotg prime cards that are going to come out uh wednesday we'll reveal the indies prime cards we will not be revealing the legends prime cards and you can br- blame grandpa choco for that one because uh, he challenged the Legends team to keep them a uh, secret until people got to open them up in the mail so uh, we are doing just that so uh, <laughs> but uh yeah so uh yeah, keep, keep an eye on that we will be mailing things out as soon as possible we're uh uh september 30th is the day we put out there uh if it's uh hopefully we should still hit that it's getting close but i think we should still be able to to mail right around that time so it'll be definitely early october uh you'll have all those sets in your hands uh and you know lots of good uh, stuff to play Todd, i do have a question before we go of course can I claim dibs for October 17th in the Deathmatch tournament on the death on the Deathmatch King, the former the GCW Universal Champion, and the man who was part of the Chicago <laughs> screw job, Matt Cardona, <laughs> for the Deathmatch tournament? All right, we gotta do Matt Cardona versus Nick Gage in the absolutely. first round. Right? Oh, that's the first thing I'm rolling when I get that card. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh man. I, I know I know Rob did suggest, you know, we should do an updated Matt Cardona with Deathmatch stats. I'm like, ah <laughs> dude, I'm telling you, why not? And especially if we do it and you know, have have Warner do a picture of him in his blood-soaked uh tank top that would be fantastic is there is there a mechanic where you get to buy the glass that falls out of his arm for a hundred dollars <laughs> oh, oh my gosh <laughs> oh he never misses a trick uh or doesn't god love him um 
Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait. Those tournaments are going to be a heck of a lot of fun. I don't know if I'll necessarily be participating or just watching, but uh, uh, either way, it's going to be a good time. So uh, again, make sure you get your ticket for that. Make sure you get pre-order in. Kevin, thank you so very much. This has been a blast. Really, really glad to have you here with us. Uh, Todd, thank you as always, Mr. Tournament Master. Um, and I am, of course, your co-host, Sam Fain. And in the meantime, take care of yourselves and one another. Stay safe out there. And we look forward to bringing you another episode next week. Keep the dice rolling, everybody. 